door, trying to get it tied. Kennedy scores! And will cater in. Shots! He has the crossbar! Kennedy looking center shot. You're listening to Impact Sports Radio, and this is Behind the Mask. Welcome, everyone, to Behind the Mask. I'm your host, Jason Ruff, along with my partner, Brian Bobel. There was only one game last weekend for the Spartans, but plenty of storylines to get out of it. Tonight, we'll recap last Friday's close loss to now number 12 Boston College and look at what went wrong for the green and white. After that, we'll preview the Michigan State women's upcoming series against Davenport. In addition, we also have some welcome aboards to announce as the Spartans have recently signed five NLI signees for the 2015-16 season. And of course, as always, we will also go around the boards, check up on other Big Ten teams on the eve of Big Ten Hockey's second season. And finally, Brian and I will preview Michigan State's road series against the Ohio State Buckeyes and the start of conference play. Let's turn it over to Brian for the, for the recap of BC versus Michigan State. Well, it was the first time these two teams faced off at Munn Arena in 24 years, dating back to 1990. That was a long time ago. Michigan State was looking to get started early, but they got the tables turned on them pretty quick. The Eagles got off to a quick start. Michigan State gave up a goal 30 seconds into the contest. You know, gave up a goal in the first half minute. Not the start they were looking for. Not the kind of goal you want to give up either off of a scramble in front. The Boston College Eagles would then extend their lead to 2-0 towards the middle of the first period with another kind of awkward goal that Jake Hildebrandle went back on a dump in from center ice. You bet. Took a funny hop. Uh, Hildebrand blocked it but then lost the rebound, and the puck just laid there, and you know it's 2-0 Eagles. But Michigan State responded well. Michael Farentino cut the lead. To two to one before the end of the first period on a beautiful, beautiful pass by Joe Cox. Completely fooled Thatcher Demko, was out of position, and all Michael Farentino had to do was just put it on goal. He had a four by six to look at, and that turned out to be his fourth goal in the last three games. But in the second period, BC once again took a two goal lead on another sort of scrum at the uh, battle at the edge of the crease. Travis Walsh actually made a nice play, or it might have been Ron Boyd, made a nice play to keep the puck out. But unfortunately, with the way the pucks were going against Michigan State that night, the rebound found its way to Quinn Smith, and he deposited his goal to make it 3-1 to BC. And that's the way it would stay after two. And then Michigan State would get back to within one goal on a goal by Matt DeBlau. It was his first goal since opening night, first goal since October 17th. So it was a long time coming for DeBlau, but unfortunately... Michigan State would not be able to get the tying goal, and the Boston College Eagles left Munn with a 3-2 victory. MSU now dropped to 3-6 and six overall. Jason, what happened? I mean, it just looked like Michigan State came out flat, and when you're a team that is 3-0 when scoring the first goal and 0-6 when they haven't scored the first goal, you just can't do that. I mean, BC came out with... Fire in their bellies, proving why they've been at the top of Hockey East for quite some time. They came out quickly, and they scored a goal less than a minute in the game. I mean, I was working the Twitter feed, Brian. I didn't even send out the un- MSU and BC underway at Mon before I hear the goal lights going. I'm like, wait, what's going on? And of course, all of a sudden, BC has an early one-goal lead. And then, of course, on that bad play by Jake Hildebrand, that bad bounce, 
Hildebrand slid to try to save save the puck. He thought he had it when it's really lying literally a foot in front of him. BC player comes in, just puts it into a wide open net. I just don't think Hildebrand, first and foremost, Hildebrand did not have a good game. You and I said last week that he was going to have to have one of the best games of the season, if not one of the best in his career, in order for the Spartans to have a legitimate shot at beating BC. Well, he didn't. And you could arguably say that's the reason they lost because that second and third goal, those are all goals Hildebrand should have had. That third goal was a result of a bad short angle shot that Hildebrand should have had in his glove. It bounced off his glove right on the goal line. Then it turns into a goal mouth scramble. All of a sudden it winds up in the back of the Spartan net. Take those two goals aside. You and I are talking about a 2-1 to one Spartan victory instead of a 3-2 Michigan State loss. Yeah, and Tom Anastas has said it numerous times since that game Friday night. He said you can't spot the goals that Michigan State spotted Friday night. That was, It was not a game that they were looking to play. And granted, you don't want to get jumped on 39 seconds into the hockey game, especially against a team that, that's been reeling for the most part. Because BC, it's not like BC has come in you know, winners of six out of seven or, you know, five in a row. Ever since, you know, one of their better defensemen, Steven Santini, went down with an injury, they have been a reeling team. Coming into that game, they lost four out of five, and their offense really wasn't showing up in that time. And it showed because they Michigan State really didn't give up that many quality scoring chances in that game. Boston College was able to just get the dirty goals right on the edge of the crease. And that's ultimately what you have to do when you're when you're having trouble scoring. But I agree, Jake Hildebrand it was not his best game. Uh, but you have to wonder, though, now that he's started this many games in a row, do you think he's maybe getting a little tired? You know, that is the question, because you look back at the game before this against um, UNH, Hildebrand lets up four goals. The fifth goal is an empty net goal for the Wildcats. But still, Heldebrand lets up four goals. I mean, how many times did that happen last year? Not much. Mm-mm. And right now, Hildebrand's stats, a 9-12 save percentage and a 2.48 goals against average, that's not really the Hildebrand from last year. Mm-mm. So you have to wonder, when does Ed Minnie, the star prospect that Michigan State brought in this year, the freshman, when is he going to get the start? Because I told you, Brian, I thought Ed Minnie should have gone in in the second period. The reason I think that was because I was having flashbacks to last year's, to the last Michigan game at Munn, mm-hmm. where Hildebrand led up three unanswered goals against the Wolverines, and it was three to one Michigan going into the second period. Mm-hmm. The senior Will Yanikev comes on, completely plays lights out, and the Spartans claw their way back to a four to three victory over the dreaded Wolverines. Yeah, and I was thinking the same thing too. Once it was, it was, once it was three to one. Once they made it three to one. Or even when they made a two nothing on that goal from center from center ice that bounced off of Hildebrand, and then you know the rebound went in. I was looking into Tom Anastas to see maybe maybe this is the time he gets a break. But I and I looked, I was thinking I it might know. not be the best time to send in a rookie when you're only down by two goals. It might not be the best time to send in a freshman to try to you know claw your team you know try to claw your way back into a right. game against a number eight opponent in the country. And having said that. Looking forward, and we'll touch we'll touch on this later in the show. There's no way that Hildebrand doesn't play this weekend, and oh, so of and, not. and so I I think he gets a break when Michigan State plays Princeton Thanksgiving weekend. I honestly do. I think so. But going back to your thing, I to your last statement, I should say, 
I don't think Hildebrand would have been pulled after that third goal because that third goal happened late in the second, midway through the second period, somewhere in that range. It's far too late to pull your goaltender then and expect a freshman goaltender who hasn't gotten a single start to win the game for you. Bobby. If you were going to pull the goaltender, it had to have been during the intermission. I, I, I disagree. I think you know. I think there's a point where you where you don't pull him anymore. I'd say that's some point in the third period. I'd, I'd say up until the second intermission, your goalie, your starting goalie, is fair game to be pulled whenever the coach has reason to pull him. And I thought, it, I thought maybe they should have pulled him. Uh, that's tough. That's tough to say because all three, you know, two of the goals weren't his fault. The two scrambles in front were not his fault. The goal that went in off of the rebound from center ice was his fault. But all night he did not look comfortable even playing the puck. Just when he when he left the crease. And even when the pucks were, were fired at him, he didn't look as comfortable and, and as sound as he usually does in between the pipes. And, and you could see that after that. The first goal kind of shook him up, I think, a little bit. I agree. And, you know, if, if he wasn't, if he was able to make some big saves after that, and I'd say, you know, don't, don't take him out. But then he gave in that next goal. Now you're thinking, you know, maybe I, like it's not I said, his I night. was ready to pull him right then and there. See, I, I was just thinking about pulling him there, but then I when I when Anastas let him sit, and I was like, all right, let's see if he can battle back because he he has battled back. He has given up some goals that he would love like back in his career, but he's always battled back. That's his resiliency coming to the forefront there. But then when he let in that third goal, another you know scrappy garbage goal, at, and it, it might have been a good move to take him out, not necessarily because he was playing super poorly, but just to give him a rest and kind of give the team a little wake me up. Because I don't think Michigan State really had their legs on them under them until, I want to say, the last half of that game. Right. I think it's also safe to say that the Michigan State offense didn't have as productive a game. Yes, they got two goals, but they con- they constantly shot themselves in the foot. The passing was just not there. No. And they were trying to over they were trying to overcomplicate things. Now credit BC. They were playing a really good shutdown game in the neutral zone, especially in the first half of the game. Michigan State could not get any off sustained offensive pressure. Yeah, and and credit yeah, credit BC to that because that's that's the way they play. When when you're not scoring goals, you have to rely on that defensive style and they did that to a T. And Michigan State's power play was dormant last uh, on Friday night. They 0 for just, 4. 0 for 4 on the power play. That was that was something that needed to happen. Think about it. If Michigan State gets one of those power play goals, 3-3 game likely tied up either in the second period or the third period. And you go to overtime, anything can happen in overtime, especially when you have the momentum. And in that third period, Michigan State had the momentum. Just BC just constantly shut them down. And when we talked about the preview for this game last week, Jason, my my three keys, I had three big keys coming into that game, Hildebrand and the power play and Ferentino needed to stay hot. One of those things happened because, you know, of course, Ferentino got the Spartans back in the game late in the first period with that goal. Right. But Hildebrand was not – as good as he should have been, and the power play just—they just—it uh, was—it was a rough night, and and yeah, you know, the pucks—the pucks were bouncing all over the the pucks was bouncing over all their over sticks. defender sticks. Yeah, it was, it was maddening almost. It, it was, and and it almost seemed like they just couldn't get in sync. And and Anastas said that after the game, they just he said we just couldn't get it going. We just couldn't get in sync. And and Ferentino echoed that in the locker room, basically saying you know it just wasn't our night tonight, but. Overall picture, their power play is improving, but that was a that was a game they needed the power play to show up. Right. Speaking over to Mike Ferentino, F- 
Ferentino is just continuing to impress, man. He has four goals in his last three games. Yeah, his, last, his last three games, definitely going to conference play. You want your captain to be producing points. He's certainly taking the bull by the horns and taking the lead on this one. Yeah, and and like I said, you have to completely credit Joe Cox's play on his goal. Uh, oh, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. credit credit Ferentino for for hitting the four by six. We know a lot of times. Well, we Michigan remember State's earlier there were a couple plays like that. Michigan State just completely whiffed. It was a you know a, a great play. Joe Cox takes the puck off the boards on Demko's glove side, and looks the sh- almost looks at looks the shot looks for the shot completely freezes Demko. But then and Anassis said that this was the huge part of the play when Matt Berry drove the net. Drew taking two, two guys with him to the net, which opened up that cross ice seam to Ferentino. That was a great play. Both goals Michigan State scored were pretty plays. They were, you know, great passing plays. And DeBlau, I think that's exactly what they needed to get from him. Like I said, it was his first goal since opening night. And we all know about the struggles DeBlau has had in the scoring department. Just to get that to get that off his shoulders going into conference play is going to be big. But what a play that was, too. A pass to him right in the faceoff circle. Someone, I forget who it was in front, but completely screened Demko, dropped down early. Uh, it was uh, Keller, Com- I believe, who made the initial pass. Completely, yeah. P- Keller got him the puck and then he got completely screened in front, drops down, leaves the leaves that top corner, and DeBlau just completely roofed it. That was a picture-perfect shot from, from DeBlau. And and they had more quality chances like that. They did, just couldn't just couldn't bury them. Then again, I mean Thatcher Demko is arguably one of the yeah, top absolutely. five, ten or five goaltenders in college hockey. Absolutely. So it's not like Michigan State just couldn't convert chances. They ran into a yeah. really hot goaltender. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, but but they have to keep the positive attitude going. They were in this game again. Another one goal game. This team is becoming so accustomed to these one goal games. <laughs> Yikes. And it was interesting when someone, I forget who brought this up in the press conference today, but it basically asked Tom Anastas, you know, Coach, with all these one-goal losses, do you, are you guys looking at it half, at the glass half empty and half, or half full? And Tom Anastas said, I'm always, you know, a glass half full kind of guy. And that's an attitude you need to have on a team like this. Oh, especially you're yeah. in a rebuilding phase. You need to yeah. have a glass half full mentality. Yeah. Because if you have a glass half empty mentality, you're going to start alienating a bunch of people yeah. from your players to the fans to the donors mm-hmm. to a lot of people. Speaking of that glass half full, Michigan State right now is three six and zero overall. Now they've played a hugely tough, hugely tough. That's not even a word. A very tough, I should say, non-conference schedule, and it's their somewhat inexperienced has shown the offense does look a little bit better, but. Mm-hmm. Brian, I can honestly say that a lot of people are getting frustrated with this team. What are your reasonable expectations and what are your for this team so far? Reasonable expectations for me, Jason. I think this team is not built, it doesn't have the confidence or the experience to win the Big Ten this year. I think straight up, they they have a chance. Once you get into, tor- into tournament time, anybody has a chance, but... If we fast forward till the end of the Big Ten, end of the Big Ten regular season, I would not be surprised to see Michigan State fourth in the Big Ten. I think Michigan State can be ahead of Penn State. 
I think Michigan State can be ahead of Ohio State if they handle their business against the Buckeyes. Um, and I honestly would not rule it out of the question for them to pass uh, Wisconsin because Wisconsin is in a downfall right now. They are in free fall. So if Michigan State can capitalize on that, if they can, you know, if they can do their business, I would say for sure I could see them finishing fourth, and I could see them finishing as high as third going into the playoffs. Now, record-wise, I could see them being maybe two games over 500 at the end of the regular season. But that's if they can find a way to finally, you know, swing these one-goal losses and turn them into one-goal wins. Because all uh, so many of their losses so far this season, and a lot of last season for that matter, were all one-goal losses. And it, it's tough to... You know that you you keep it's going. Frustrating. Yeah, it, it's it is frustrating. That's it really why the fan is. base is frustrated it right is. now. And and the fan base has to understand where this team is right now. They're not primed to win a national championship this year. I don't think anyone's asking no. for a national championship. No, if they are. They're, they're not their gonna. Minds. They're not gonna run the table in the Big Ten. The fans have to understand that there is a process that goes into being a you know a successful competitive college hockey team. And for that matter, just like any any professional sports, even the NHL, there's a process. You don't just flip a switch and all of a sudden you're contenders. It starts with getting the right players. Start by in the NHL, it's start by drafting. In this, it's the recruiting process. You know, get those recruits classes in. You know, consecutive get some consecutively good recruiting classes. Michigan State is doing that right now. I like the freshman class that they have this year. The freshman class, we'll talk about them in a little bit next year, looks promising. So they're starting to improve. It's just a matter of how long is it going to take for them to improve. I understand that, but I think a lot of people in college hockey are following this team, understand that it's a process. I think they're just becoming upset because there have been a lack of noticeable results. Mm-hmm. On an outside, for an outside look, looking in, you and I are different because we've been following this team with a microscope, analyzing pretty much every single detail, and we can see the improvements. But to the casual observer looking in, this team looks similar to last year's team, and that's that's not something you want. You want a program that's gradually getting better. You won't, don't want a program that's flatlining. I can understand those valid claims. Are they claims that I hold? No, they're not. I think the team is getting better, and they will continue to get better, but I can understand those claims that the program is flatlining. Again, I think Tom Anastas needs to continue what he's doing this year. I think the team will get better, and I think he needs. And I think next year he's going to have a really decent team that's going to make some noise. For me, reasonable expectations for this team next this year: above 500 finish, whether it be two games, one game, or ten games, just an above 500 finish. I think that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. I think that's within the skill level of this team, and I think it's doable. I think they can do it. And finally, I think. This team should try should aim to finish third or fourth with the aim in third. I disagree with you a little bit, Brian, that they're going to have to beat out Penn State and Wisconsin. I think the lock for the top two spots is going to be eventually Minnesota, maybe Penn State as well. I think Minnesota are not Minnesota. I think if Penn State continues what they're doing well, especially if they make a lot of noise in Yoast Ice Arena this weekend, they could be a real big contender for that second spot. I think Michigan State is going to have to go in to a three-way dogfight with Michigan and Ohio State. They're going to have to outduel and outbattle those two other teams to secure that third stop spot. It'll be extremely tough. You and I both know 
how well the Buckeyes and the Wolverines can play against the Spart- this Spartan team. But I think they, I think the Spartans can do it. It'll be tough, but with they just need to do it, plain and simple. Again, we'll talk about this stuff a lot later in the year. Let's continue on. Women's hockey now. After a long two-week hiatus, the women's D1 hockey program is ready to go back out at this weekend. The Spartans, who are 5-0-2, will face Davenport, who's 6-4-0, in a home-and-home series this Friday at 8 p.m. and this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Mon Ice Arena. The Spartans currently sit in the 12th position at the women's ACHA standings, with Davenport holding the 11th spot. The series will be the last few games for the Lady Spartans in 2014. Brian, looking at the ACHA standings, a lot of the teams that are above the Spartans right now have a lot more games in hand. I mean, the Spartans have only played seven games. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it's really interesting that they're just, you know, only play seven games, and next thing you know, you're you're looking at your last... uh, you know, you got a couple more games here this weekend, and then next thing you know, it's off to 2015. But give the ladies credit. They're they're taking care of business. Yes, and they are. Moreover, they're taking care of business at home, mm-hmm. something that the men's hockey team needs to start doing. Yep, yep. But it'll be interesting interesting to see how they fare against Davenport this weekend. I think that'll be a, it'll be a pretty good game, um, you know, since it's a home-and-home, home, you know, see if they can defend their home ice uh, – there, but I think if if the ladies can pull off a sweep this weekend, oh, my goodness, seven zero and two at the end of uh, at the end of twenty fourteen, heading into twenty fifteen, I think these girls are the real deal. I want to put them up against uh, some of the teams Michigan State men's hockey has been playing with that <laughs> kind of record. Face off against uh, BU and BC there. I don't know about that, but <laughs> put them up against Michigan. I don't know. Go on to recruiting. This week marks the end of the early signing period for the NLI, or National Letter of Intent. Michigan State scored big with five NLI signees, three forwards and two defensemen, to join the Michigan State Spartans for the 2015-16 season. We'll go through the press release that was provided to us via Michigan State Athletic Communications. First on our list is Mason Appleton, native of Green Bay, Wisconsin, currently a member of the Tri-City Storm. A 6'2", 193-pound defenseman is a playmaking center with the ability to finish, makes people better with his ability to see the ice and distribute pucks, possesses strong power play skills, has size and compete level, make him tough to play against and hard to defend, has a reputation for making big plays at critical times, becoming a very valuable member to very successful teams over his developing years. Currently, Appleton has a 5-2-7 scoring line which is and is a plus 4 through 15 games with the Tri-City Storm of the USHL. Previous to that, Appleton scored, or excuse me, produced 60 points, 26 goals, and 34 assists in just 23 regular season games with the Notre Dame Academy in Green Bay, Wisconsin in the 2013-14 season. So, sounds like Appleton is a native goal scorer. Yep. <laughs> Definitely a guy you want considering you're graduating Matt Barry this year. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that that you read uh, just l- jumped out at me, and that was that he has a reputation for making big plays at critical times. Michigan State needs a player like that. Exactly. That that is is one of their biggest needs. And Anasta said each of these five players that we're going to talk about fills a certain need of the team. And this this one this is a huge home run for Michigan State. If he can pan out the way that 
you know, hopefully that, he is, can. that is that is expected of him. You know, he makes people better with his ability to see the ice and distribute pucks. That's another thing Michigan State needs. And, you know, that not many players on on this current team now are those kind of players that make everyone else around them better. If if you can understand, like not many, right. not enough, right. or I should say, not enough people on Michigan State are that kind of way. Matt Berry is one yeah. of those. Matt people, Berry for is one. Yeah, Ferentino. You can make an argument. Ferentino yeah. is one of those as mm-hmm. well. Ferentino, and I think you you could toss in Mackenzie McEachern in there. I agree. Too. Now that he's definitely pan- yeah. panning out, so yes, I'd throw so, that in. There. So with Berry leaving, you know, or graduating, I should say, graduating, leaving, uh, same thing. Uh, to have a to have this guy. To have Appleton fill in that that void is a perfect fit for them. I, I think this is an awesome, awesome signing for them. And you know, they they seem to really like the USHL. I'm gonna. <laughs> well, I understand why because remember the USHL is the American Juniors. That's the top place mm-hmm. to get college ready talent for hockey. Mm-hmm. It, it just is. That's that's the way recruiting is nowadays. And and I also like his size too. I like that. That's 6'2", 193. Yeah, yeah, a big He's a big, big boy. centerman. And, big and, centerman. and that's once he go once he gets into you know, playing here, he's gonna get even bigger. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a big workhorse. I could see him being a huge workhorse for this team, you know, once he gets into his sophomore, junior, and senior seasons here if he decides to stay all the way to senior year. I think he will. Yeah. So a good move good move on this pickup. I like what I like what is what has been said about him. And that's what they need. That reputation for making big plays at critical times. That's just the most one of the most important it's one of the most important characteristics a player can be exactly can be labeled with. Exactly. You know? So good move by State there. Definitely one of the big ones in the class. Also important institute, he's he's from Wisconsin. So Anassas probably plucked this guy out right under Mike Eaves' nose, which yeah. is always a plus. Mm-hmm. And for our viewers out there, if you followed us last summer, a recent article we we published about Appleton committing. Appleton com- verbally committed to Michigan State in the summer, so he's a later recruit. Yeah. So mm-hmm. obviously a real, like you said, Brian, a really important pickup here for Michigan State to get Mason Appleton could potentially be one of the, one of those types of guys that pans out in terms of scoring. Yeah. Certainly, again, certainly someone Michigan State needs, mm-hmm. especially when you consider that Matt Berry's graduating after this year. And just the size there, six two one ninety three center. And that's before he's even in college, so I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe it went, by the time he's a junior or a senior, he'll be six two, maybe six three two something, you know, up to you know two hundred and five, maybe if he wants to put that much muscle on him, you know. But home run, absolute home run. home run. Exactly. It'll be interesting to see, to keep an eye on Appleton as he continues through with his USHL career this season. Hopefully, big things in store for him. Also, Zach Osborne, a native of Plymouth, Michigan, currently plays for the Chicago Steel, a defenseman, 5'10", 181 pounds. An athletic skating, offensive-minded defenseman, his excellent skating skills allow him to defend well in all three zones of the rink, has a great shot that he uses off the rush or in the zone equally as well. His ability to lead the breakout and then the rush adds the element critical to today's game. Currently, Osborne has a goal and assist in nine games for the Chicago Steel of the USHL season. He was a plus four in four games for the USHL Clark Cup champion Indiana Ice in 2013-14. Same team that current Michigan State defenseman Josh Jacobs played on. 
Does the name Tory Krug ring a bell, Jason? I think it does. I think we might be looking at a very similar player to Tory Krug I based agree. on his scouting report. I think it might we might have a, a newer version of Tory Krug. Especially definitely. Mm-hmm. And Def- talk about the, some of the areas this team needs. The first thing he is he has an elite skate. He's an elite skating, offensive-minded defenseman. Exactly, which is something Michigan State needs desperately. Desperately needs that production from the blue line. Am I right, Jason? Exactly. Josh Jacobs is kind of starting to do it. I mean, he has about three assists, but he's not that guy who's just going to take rocket shots no. from the point and just score goals night in, night out like Tory Krug did or just lead the rush and take shots like Tory Krug did. No, and, we, and we've seen him jump into the play oh, uh, yes. a handful oh, of yeah. times, oh, you yeah. know, and, and that's great to see. And that I think that'll, that'll come with the more with the more comfortable he gets in the new system and, you know, playing at the collegiate level. I think we'll see more of that. But if we can if, if if we can see anything similar to what Tory Krug brought to Michigan State out of Zach Osborne, this will be a second home run. It'll be back to back home runs here for Michigan State, I think. Yep, definitely. Coach Tomanas is indicating that so he had some qualities like Tory Krug. Also interesting to see that Zach Osborne actually plays with my former neighbor, a guy by the name of Ryan Blankmeyer. Mm. Blank Meyer is actually slated to play hockey for Dartmouth uh-huh. upcoming next season. So when I go down home for winter break, I'll have to get in touch with my good friend Ryan and ask him about Osborne because he, he sounds like he's a really good pickup for the Spartans. Next on our list is Co- Cody Milan, a White Lake, Michigan native, member of the Tri-City Storm. 6'1", 185 pounds, the winger who uses his skating vision of the ice, and puck skills to be a dangerous player. His offensive skill set and defensive responsibilities make him a strong candidate to play on both the penalty kill and the power play. Hardworking and physically mature player. Currently, Milan has 8 points, 2 goals, 6 assists, through 15 games in playing with fellow signee Mason Appleton for the Tri-City Storm of the USHL. If Appleton is the big goal scorer, Milan sounds like he's the setup guy. He's the, to put it in perspective, he's the Joe Cox for the Mike Ferentino one-timer goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. And and I think this is this is another, you know, this is another piece of the puzzle that the team is going to need in the future. I I like how he has the vision, you know, like he has great vision and great skill set and great defensive responsibility. That kind of perfectly fits into Tom Anastas's Exactly. So some, the, the ability to see the ice, skilled with the puck, and then not being a reliable uh, a liability defensively, and and it says even as you said, you know, his his defensive responsibility puts him to be a strong candidate on both the PK and the power play. Exactly, something and, Michigan State yes, really needs. Yes, and something that Tom Anastas has talked about getting as many people in on the penalty kill. You know, being comfortable with throwing out. Six, seven, you know, perfect world. Eight people out there to kill penalties, and if you're going to get a guy like this who can do both on the power, you know, can work on the power play and the PK, (laughs) that's this team. If they can get these guys to pan out the way that they're hoping, this team will it'll be a pretty decent team next year. Exactly. Also, look, six one hundred eighty five pounds, very close. Very. Oh, he's only an inch shy of Appleton, six yeah. two. Mm-hmm. So he's 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 not a big bulky guy, but he's he's a taller, 
He's a taller winger. Yeah, Michigan State. And I think that's another thing that I don't think Tom Anastas addressed it. But they, need, they needed they needed size. They need size. I agree. They they are a very small team, Michigan State. You know, Mike Ferentino's shorter than I am. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On skates, he's shorter than I am still. So, or no, yeah, I'm still taller than when he's on skates. But well, you're taller than everyone. Almost. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six three does six three does a lot for you. But uh, yeah, but yep. yeah, I, I do like that they're getting these guys. You know, and outside of. Outside of Zach Osborne, who's who's a five ten defenseman, that nothing wrong with that. Having that, you know, Tory Krug esque fi- Short. figure, shorter he, he can contribute. But then if you look at the rest of these guys, all these guys well are... over well over six feet and getting you know around the two hundred pound zone, I think Michigan State is definitely going to be a much bigger team in the next couple years, and that's what they need. I think. I fully agree. And here's a little seed to plant maybe in your mind and maybe in Coach Nasta's mind. Maybe put Milan and Appleton on the line together. I, I think mean, they're already teammates. I don't know if they're already on the line right now with the Tri-City Storm. But, again, like I said, Milan seems to be the setup man. Appleton, the executioner, if you will, could be an interesting combination, one that we, may, you and I very well may see in the coming years. I could definitely see that happening. Um, you know, early on in the season, um, especially if they're if they're on the same line and they have some a little bit of chemistry already, um, yeah, that's something. It, it would be tough though just to throw out a couple freshmen in there together. But if they have the chemistry, why not put them maybe with uh, maybe with McEachern? There you go. Or 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 another soon to be junior, maybe Hague. Someone put them with someone more experienced. Yeah. Yeah, and, and with and the positive thing that these guys have going for them is that when they get here, there's there's going to be a very well experienced senior group. class, a very experienced group of upperclassmen. Because don't forget, these guys now that Michigan State has these juniors and the, the sophomores were pretty much thrown into the fire when they first exactly. got here. Exactly, I was just about to allude to that. These guys. They won't be burdened right out of the gate to carry the load offensively mm-hmm. for Michigan State. That will come to the upperclassmen next year. That's pretty much kind of what negated last year's freshman class. Yeah. The McEachern and the Hague, the Coxes, those guys were burdened right out of the gate to produce early, and they didn't, mm-hmm. which is why Michigan State did not have that good of a start. And while they did start having success, it wasn't the type of success I think they could have had. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. And, and it does affect you. It does affect your development when you have when you're thrown into a situation a situation like that, without the, you know that leadership to kind of help you on. And that's not to say that you know Greg Wolf wasn't a great captain, or you know Jake Chelios wasn't wasn't a great leader. There's just something different about having so many different freshmen thrown into the action, where it makes it really tough for a leader like Jake Chelios and like Greg Wolf, you know, to kind of to kind of carry the burden of that. And with and with all these, you know, all, all these guys now being extremely experienced, the juniors especially, they'll be excellent leaders for the this crop of freshmen coming in next year. Exactly. Really good stuff. As we continue on, we're not done yet. Fourth on the list, Jared Jared Roseberg, native of get this, Clarksville, Maryland. Ooh. Didn't know there's hockey. Tapping out there into in the DC area. Uh, no, you're a favor of that. Currently <laughs> member of the Sioux City Musketeers of the USHL. That's one of my favorite team names. 
The I, Sioux City Musketeer. I love that name. I can, I can see why. The six one hundred ninety pound defenseman, a difficult defender for opponents to play against, uses his skating ability, reach, and physicality very well. Strong puck mover and also makes good decisions under pressure. Can lead the breakout with either his puck movement or skating skills. Good offensive sense and can easily join the rush. Has the ability to play on both the power play and the penalty kill. Through 12 games with the Sioux City Musketeers, Rosberg has a 2-2-4 scoring line and is plus 11. Now, while that might not look like much, consider this. In his first season with the Musketeers in 2013-14, he posted 8 points, 2 goals, 6 assists, and was a plus 12 in 34 games. So it sounds like Rosberg is starting to develop because he's coming close to eclipsing his previous year's mark and the USHL season is not even a third or just over a third of the way over. Yeah, and this is another area that this guy is just straight up, you know, he, he he's not going to he's not going to impress you. He's not going to razzle dazzle you with offensive numbers. He's just going to do the gritty work in the on the defensive end, which is another thing this team needs. I I, I think he would he's going to fit in perfectly. If he just if he plays his style of game, that basically that shut down, you know, difficult, you know, tough, rugged kind of style, I think that'll do wonders for the team because I think it seems like we're we're almost looking at a different piece, you know. Everyone is going to bring something completely new to this team and something that it's going to make the team so much better in the future. You know, you're looking at you have like the offensive Tory Krug type. In right, the last defenseman, right. now you're looking at. I guess I, I I don't know who I could compare him with, but it just based on you know great puck moving, good decision under pressure. I like that the most. The good decision making under pressure, right? Make right, you right, make right. him very comfortable in there. And finally, last but certainly not least on our list, Brennan Sanford, the native of East Lansing, Michigan, currently a member of the Des Moines Buccaneers of the USHL, six one two hundred five pound forward. Is a tough player in all areas of the rink. Uses his size and strength to be effective along the boards, in front of the net, and in the corners. Owns a solid shot and has good decision-making abilities with the puck. Smart, hard-working player. Currently has five points, two goals, three assists through 16 games with the Des Moines Buccaneers this season. Anastas told us that Sanford is not going to be a guy who's going to play lights out and get huge numbers of points in a season. No. But he's going to be. But he's a type of player that every team needs. Every good team needs. He's smart, he's tough to play against, and he has that grit. I can identify with Sanford very well because that was the type of player I was. Yeah, and it, so I'm really excited for this kid. Plus, he's an he's a native, he's he's an East Lansing native, so obviously this is a dream come true for him. Absolutely. And he he comes across as as a reliable, you know, smart player. I I don't see him really making a lot of mistakes with the puck. Um which which will help this team out a lot, obviously. Uh, never like turnovers, but um, yeah, smart, hardworking. I don't see him cracking, you know, the top two lines. I see him just being a very solid third line, you know, third or fourth line forward for Michigan State in the future. I agree, and that's the type of players you need. Yeah, yeah. Those are, I think, those people, those kind of players are almost as important as your top line players because. You basically, I think a lot of teams live and die with, with your depth. Exactly. You live and die with your depth. If you don't have the depth, your top two lines are, are, are nothing. Exactly. Your depth makes your top lines lethal, right. basically. Of course, of all, for all of us here at Impact Sports, we like to wish the new incoming Spartan freshman 
a very hearty congratulations on making mm-hmm. a major life decision. And of course, a big welcome to Spartan Nation. Let's move on now to around the boards, taking a look at some of the Big Ten teams in the mix right now. Number four, Minnesota. Notice the Golden Gophers are now number four. They have dropped from their number one position down to number four because they were swept by number eight, Minnesota Duluth, by scores of three to nothing and two to one, respectively. The Gophers are off this coming weekend. Currently, they are at a 7 3 and 0 start. How about the Gophers? They are one and three in their last four games. Well, they, uh, they, it was the first time we were to talk about the game, their opening game against Minnesota Duluth, when they lost three to nothing. It was the first time that they were shut out at Mariucci Arena in more than twenty months. Wow. So, so that's that's impressive on on Minnesota Duluth's part. And then you know the game was a little closer uh, with a two to one score on uh, the night after. But this is not something uh, Minnesota wanted to happen going into Big Ten play. But, I mean, yeah, they have the one game, the exhibition game, uh, against the U.S. under-18 team coming up soon. But Sounds you, like they need the off week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you look, you know, you, they're, then they're heading to New England themselves to play B.C. and Northeastern before playing Michigan State to kick off their Big Ten play. I was very surprised. I was I think I I was I was surprised to see them get swept. I, I thought they would very well split that series with Minnesota Duluth. But just need a just need a quick uh, maybe I think it's just going to be a hiccup for them on in all honesty. I think they are deserving of number 4 in the rankings and you said they were number 4 now. Yeah, yeah. number 4. Yeah, I think they're very deserving of that. Um I didn't. Uh, I didn't really think they were the best team in the country, but now I think I think number four is definitely where I think they should be. Agree, agree. Again, only hiccup or a start of a larger trend. Stay tuned. Currently, no surprises here with the Michigan Wolverines. They swept American International last weekend at Yost by scores of five to two and six to three. The Wolverines are off to a four five and zero record. Next weekend, they kick off their Big Ten play against a team that really has had their number lately, the Penn State Nittany Lions. Brian, I know a lot of people were saying that this game was, or this series was likely a guaranteed at least one win for the Michigan Wolverines. Now, considering how Penn State has been playing, I'm not so sure. There's a chance the Wolverines, considering how they play against, uh, or excuse me, how, how Penn State has played against them, there could be a chance that. Red Berenson and company might get swept. Might get swept at home. Yeah, that, that that matchup just got a whole lot more interesting. I gotta say, over the last couple weeks, that matchup is now. You know, this is gonna be a doozy. That's gonna be a good one. And then you know, Michigan they they got their they got their work done by beating American International pretty handily. I'll I'll say for the most part, you know, outscoring them eleven to five. Want to shoe up the defense a little bit if you're Michigan, but. It's good that they got their long home stand off on the right foot. You know, start off two and zero. You have five more home games in a row before they go on the road to play Boston College uh, towards the middle of December. So it was a good start. That matchup though with Penn State looming, that's going to ah, I really wish I could get those games on TV because those are going to be very good hockey games. And if you looked at it earlier. You know, maybe when the schedule was released or over the summer, you might have thought you might not have you know given that matchup a second look. 
I know I certainly didn't. I just looked at it as, man, you know, Michigan gets Penn State at home to open up Big Ten, no big deal there. But now. <laughs> well, I wrote it off as a as a split because, remember, last year the Penn State and any Lions went 3-2 and two against the Wolverines. Yes, they splits in both series and then eliminated the Wolverines in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But so I wrote that series initially off as a split, but considering how Penn State has been playing lately, it's, you know, Watch out, Ann Arbor. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Just watch out. Uh, Penn... Hockey Valley's on its way out, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Hockey Valley, the Penn State Nittany Lions are really riding high <laughs> right now. They split on the road against number five UMass Lowell. Lost the first game on Friday by a score of 5-3, to three, but then won the Saturday game in deciding fashion by a score of 4-1. to one. UMass Lowell Riverhawks, one of the most high-scoring teams in the NCAA right now, the Penn State Nittany Lions are off to a 6-2-2 two, two start, so really nipping at the heels of the Minnesota Gophen Go- Golden Gophers. They start Big Ten play at Yost in Michigan this weekend. So really big chance for the Golden, for not the Golden Gophers, the Nittany Lions to really make a statement going into Big Ten play that they are going to be a contender for that second spot, maybe even that first spot. Yeah, and look at look at how they've done this. I I, I think uh, what happened Friday night is more of what I expected out of that matchup. But then Saturday night, my goodness, they got out to a four nothing lead, and then it took it took UMass Lowell over fifty minutes to get on the board in this game, and that's against a team you know a lot of people overlook their defensive skill. I think Penn not many not many people give Penn State enough credit defensively. They got themselves a pretty good goalie there. And then you have Casey Bailey, who's leading the charge offensively. Eight goals so far for the Nittany Lion uh, forward there, Casey Bailey. So he's he's been a huge part of their success. And, you know, McAdam in net, he's no pushover. He, he's given that team a chance to win a lot of games in his tenure at, at Penn State. So I think... <laughs> It would have been interesting to see if Michigan State had played UMass Lowell to a full weekend series, because to see I, how that would have to see out. how that would have would have played out. Because Penn State w- was able to play two games against them. Michigan State, of course, goes and plays BU the one night, and then comes and played uh, to play UMass Lowell. But man, Penn State, my goodness! Right <sighs> now, they smell blood in the water because right now the top team, the Big Ten, is one out of their last four. The rest of the conference looks pretty on pair with each other. And then, of course, you have Wisconsin off to an 0-6 start. If you're the Nittany Lions, you smell blood in the water. You do. In this conference. You, you really do. And you look at this this weekend as a great chance to to prove that they can be a contender. And I think they, they're going to prove it to everyone that they're a contender in the Big Ten. I think so. So ho- everything going good in Hockey Valley right now. Ohio State? Split last weekend, number eighteen Bowling Green by scores of three to two and three to two. Both teams won in the other's rink. Mm. So definitely there's no home ice advantage for the Buckeyes, it seems. They start Big Ten play this weekend against, of course, Michigan State University. The Buckeyes are off to a three, six, and one start. And finally, the Wisconsin Badgers were off last weekend. They play this weekend. Go, they go off to Colorado this weekend, play at Colorado College and at number 10, Denver. Brian, I think Wisconsin's going to pick up their first win 
this weekend against Colorado College, but I think they're going to crash and burn against Denver. Yeah, in Denver's home rink. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough billing for for Wisconsin. There, uh, basically, you're looking at a very very poor record. They'll be one and seven before that. I think I think I do think they'll get a win at Colorado College. I don't like you. I don't think they're going to beat Denver, but. So you're looking at a one and seven record if should they split uh, this weekend out in Colorado, and then you go on a <laughs> an almost endless stretch of home games where you're playing about 13, 13 out of your next fifteen games are at home. That's a pretty good, you know, it gives them the opportunity to sort of get back on track and get that record closer to five hundred. I think. I agree with you, but it still remains to be seen how yeah. much that 0-6 record is going to hurt the Badgers' chances to make it to the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And finally, we'll go to our last segment, Know Thy Enemy and Know Thyself in a Thousand Battles You Will Never Lose. This Thursday and Friday, the Spartans kick off co- the conference play to face off against the Buckeyes of Ohio State. As many remember, the Buckeyes ended the Spartan season last year with an overtime win in the first round of the Big Ten Tournament. Look for Michigan State to come out with passion and fire in their bellies to strike early and take revenge against the Buckeyes. Last year, the Spartans went 0-1-3 against the Buckeyes and garnered only four points out of a possible 12. If Michigan State wants to finish in the top 10 of the Big Ten this year, they will have to establish dominance over OSU. These two teams seem evenly matched in terms of statistics. The Buckeyes have a slight edge in goals per game, 2.4 to 2.33, but allow on average three goals per game. Michigan State, on the other hand, is 3-1 when scoring three goals or more this season. Likewise, the Buckeyes are 1-5 when playing in Columbus, which is where this weekend series will take place. Another interesting note is the Buckeyes' goaltender situation. After a 1-3 start by sophomore Christian Frey, OSU has gone with sophomore backup Matt Tompkins. Tompkins, so far, is 2-3-1 with a 9-10 save percentage and a 2.3 goals against average. In comparison, Michigan State goaltender Jake Hildebrand boasts a 9-1-12 save percentage and a 2.48 goals against average. Brian, I think this one, it will be critical to keep an eye on the goaltenders. Yes, absolutely, Jay, uh, absolutely, Jason. I agree with you 100%. And it's interesting that, that you might not know who they're going to get in this in this series here. I think here. it's going to be Tompkins. I think you got to play with, with the hot hand. The hot hand. And so Tompkins most likely is going to be the guy. Not oh, not overall impressive. Not really impressive numbers on his part. But respectable. But respect, absolutely respectable. And yeah, just like Hildebrand's numbers, not stellar as you know he has been. You know his numbers have been in the last couple of years, but definitely respectable. I think this this matchup really interesting because Ohio State really has not had success at home. They they. They won their first home game against Providence in overtime. That's a pretty good Providence team, and now they've lost five straight since. It's 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 crazy. Michigan, One of those yeah. games was against Nebraska Omaha. They blew a three nothing lead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and Michigan State. We talked about Penn State, you know, being like a shark to blood. Michigan State needs to come out and take it to the Buckeyes, as if Michigan State can get a win. Thursday night. Now you now the Buckeyes are one and six at home. They've lost six in a row at home. You know, not feeling too confident. That would have been if Michigan State pulls off the win. That'll be four losses in the last five games. 
So the the whole mental game starts with them. The whole mind game starts, you know, the whole lack of confidence and all that. But Michigan State knows full well that this matchup ultimately did them in last season. Not only because, obviously, Ohio State beat Michigan State in the Big Ten tournament, but it was this matchup that put Michigan State at number five out of six in the Big Ten, I think. Exactly, exactly. Especially when you consider that the Buckeyes only had about a two-point lead over the Spartans Mm -hmm. in that race. Mm -hmm. But I I think it will be interesting to see the goaltending matchup. The past couple games, Hildebrand has not looked like Hildebrand, basically. He's Mm -hmm. looked quite shaky. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see. I don't think you pull him. I think he starts Thursday. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I but he's no on. But he's on a short leash. I think he's on a short leash. Yeah. I I would say that. But then again, do you at that point go into you know your first you know your first Big Ten game of the season against a team that you want like basically Michigan State has painted you know a mark on Ohio State's back that they want to get them seek revenge for what happened. I don't unless if Hildebrand comes out and has a tumultuous start to the game, then I'd have no problem pulling him and putting in Ed Minnie. I would save pulling Hildebrand unless it's absolutely necessary until the game weekend against Princeton next week. I that's that's fair enough. Now that being said, I think Hildebrand is going to come out this weekend or this week I should say cuz the games are Thursday, Friday. I think he's going to come out and have a much better game. You and I talked to him Today, or yes, today, Brian, he's he said it plainly. He's not playing up to the expectation that he's had for himself. He knows he can do better. He knows he needs to get better. So he he recognizes that. He knows he he's played not up to his standards. So I think you're going to see a much better game from Hildebrand on Thursday night. I think couple that with the fact that Michigan State is going to be seeking revenge against this Buckeye team. I think you're coming away with a big Michigan State win. The question is if they can follow that up with a win on Friday night. Yeah, that's that's actually a great point, Jason, because we know the team has not been able to string together, you know, back-to-back wins against the same opponent. They haven't been able to sweep an opponent in a long time. I think Penn State yep. was the last team, uh, last time they swept a team. But this is part of the thing that this team needs to do. They need to be able to figure out how to how to sweep teams out of, you know right off their feet because if you can't sweep anybody, there's no way you you gain ground on anybody unless everyone else is losing out for the most part. You you can't you can't move up in the Big 10 if you're splitting at best splitting every series. Exactly. Yeah. So it'd be really interesting to see I'm looking forward to this matchup because it's one that I've been thinking about ever since Michigan State lost to Ohio State in the playoffs last year. I think this is this is the matchup that's going to determine which it'll tell us not only and I told I told you this earlier today Jason, it, it'll tell us if this year's Spartans team is a basic reincarnation of last year's team or if this team has actually improved since last year. I think this is the ultimate, ultimately how we're going to find out. Because I, I think, even though they don't have the numbers to show for it, I think the team played well in that tough out-of-conference, you know, that tough non-conference schedule to open up the season. I really think they played well. You know, you, you have five games against ranked opponents. Sure, you, you, you go one and four in those games, but how many of those games were Michigan State in? 
and all ultimately fi- just yeah they were in all, all five, five of those games but they just couldn't pull out a win it'd be it'd be a lot different if they were say losing five nothing four to one you know six to two then I'd say no this team just doesn't have what it takes but the fact that they were able to hang with those teams makes you think at some point the game is going to like Michigan State and when it does look out I I agree so let's now go to our final segment here keys to Spartan victory Brian I know you have been thinking about this for a while let's let's hear it jump on them early you got to jump on the buckeyes early not the most confident bunch heading into this series like I already spoke about their home woes you know their their woes at home if michigan state can grab a lead early and and cling to that because jason you mentioned earlier the team is 3 and 0 when scoring the first goal 0 and 6 when giving up the first goal so if they can get that if they can get that you know that good start They'll be in good shape now. They had a very, uh, they had an awful start against BC. It was, it was a disastrous start. You're down two nothing about midway through the first period. If Michigan State can grab a lead, I think they're going to win the first game. That's 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 my key. Get on them early. Number two, Hildebrand needs to bounce back. Just plain and simple. He had a very, he's had a rough two games now, and this is his time where he has to put that behind him and get back to being the Jake Hildebrand we've seen over the last couple of years. And my last one, I've said this, it's been it's been one of my keys for a long time, the power play has to show up. Power play did not show up last week and it cost them the game ultimately. So the power play needs to show up. The penalty kill is going to be the penalty kill. It's going to be it's going to be doing exactly what the PK has done all year, you know. So currently the Spartan penalty kill is 30 for 33. Point nine oh nine percent average, so pretty gosh darn good. Those yeah. are elite numbers. Yeah, so so I think the, the, you're gonna, you know, what you're gonna get out of Michigan State's penalty kill. The question is, can the power play carry the workload too? And and Michigan State needs that to happen. I agree. And now my keys, I'm gonna echo two of yours. Number one, score the first goal and score it early. Like <laughs> you said, Michigan State three and zero when scoring the first goal, zero for six when the opponent scores the first goal. It's you it's gotta am- you gotta go with what the signs tell you. Score the first goal. Isn't it's, that amazing? It isn't it. I'd rather sit. I'd rather sit here and say Michigan State is six and zero when scoring the first goal and zero for three. But yeah, yeah, eh, don't get everything you want. But again, <laughs> score the first goal. Second thing is Jake Hildebrand needs to be solid. He needs to bounce back. If if Hildebrand has a game like he did against UNH or against Ferris, or not Ferris State, against Boston College, then things are not going to be looking good. If I'm Tom Anastas and Hildebrand has a third week game in a row, I'm seriously considering starting Ed Minnie for that Friday game and getting him some reps in because something's obviously off with Hildebrand. I hope he doesn't, but Hildebrand needs to have a... He needs to use this game to bounce back. And finally, for my third point, I'm going to break this out after a long while. I You heard me say this at the beginning of the year. Pound, green, pound. Win the battles in the corner. Win the battles in front of the net. Have someone plant themselves in front of the net. Pay that extra price to get to screen the goalie, get buys in front of the net, and shoot the puck. If Michigan State can do that and establish a physical dominance over the Ohio State Buckeyes in their own arena, the rest will do by they will do fine. I agree. I agree. I I 
I'll, I'll, I'll say my thoughts on this, and I'll, and I'll give it to you, Jason. I think Michigan State is more than capable, and I've talked, I've told you this since since day one of this season. I think Michigan State needs to come out of Columbus with five points at least. Agree. Five points. I think it's doable. I think it's more than more than possible, but they need to come out with at least five points. I agree. And and you know what? That's reasonable because if you look at the schedule where it is right now, if Michigan State gets five points, speaking hypothetically here, knock on wood though, if Michigan State picks up five points in Columbus, they go into Princeton of the Road Series, a series they should easily sweep. Yes. They come into Minnesota, which is going to be a very hard home series. Minnesota's always hard. Mm-hmm. They're they're a top five team right now. They're probably going to be still be a top five team going into that weekend when they come here to East Lansing. But think about it, you already have five points in conference. All you really need to do is pick up an overtime win. Yeah. And you're you're still be in good shape. Beat out Clarkson. And you have an over 500 non-conference record going into the GLI and the and the bulk of conference play. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, it's just uh, it's. Although I will say this though, I have not seen enough from this team yet to make me firmly believe that that will happen. Yeah, I think it's possible, but I haven't seen anything. I don't think you've seen anything either that can firmly tell us that this team at this stage right now, will do that. Again, I hope I'm happily surprised, but at the moment, I don't see anything that can, that says otherwise. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Tough, tough to think otherwise, but I think th- this team needs a... It, it can get a serious boost out of this weekend. It'll, it'll either get a serious boost or a serious crash in terms of their confidence. Agree. We definitely want to hear from you to our wonderful listeners. We have a comment section at the below of each post we put on our podcast. Feel free to comment with your thoughts, answers to our questions, or just overall thoughts in general. And we'll and that will do it for us here. I'm Jason Ruff. I'm Brian Bobel. Stay cool, Spartan Nation.